it includes fairgrounds, Fairview as defined by the Fairview Fire Department, borders Dobbsbury Road, it also borders Norwood Road, Grasslands Road, includes all the communities, communities that come around and border Bronson Parkway, that, um, as I said before, border Dobbsbury Road. It's a huge community. Mm. And due to many um, uh, um, reasons, we concentrated, when I say we, speaking of African Americans, all people of the African diaspora, African Americans, African Caribbeans, we concentrated in a few main areas, Tarrytown, Elmsford, and those areas of the, four, fair, of the Fairview that I just mentioned. So I'd like to begin with a question. Well, first of all, I, I said I was going to have everybody introduce themselves and just sort of share a little bit about your story. How did you come to Greenberg? And uh, let's just begin with that. How did you come to Greenberg? Um, what families are you connected to in Greenberg? This Barbara, Barbara Watson's brother, uh, Ronnie, told me, he said, Judy, you know, there were very few fights among us in Greenberg because so many of us were related to so many <laughs> families that you didn't always know who you were going up against and you didn't want the family coming after you. He said, so, you know, we just made sure that there were very few fights among us kids as we were growing up. discussing the, the stock market, no money, don't know how we got to New York, but through it all we got here. And one of the largest things in our family was education. There was no way in the world my grandmother with a third grade education managed to raise by herself children because her husband was killed, he worked at home. Westchester County, what is now Westchester County, was Greenberg, um, not Westchester County, but it was, um, what was the name of the hospital? Grasslands. Grasslands, thank you. Grasslands Hospital. And on that circle, he was hit by a hit and run person, a white person, who thought it was funny to try to run somebody off the road. And by the time they carried him up to the hospital, he had died. So that left my grandmother with eight children. And my mother and her twin sister Martha, through my aunt Mamie Alicia Bethay, and all my uncles were in White Plains and they moved to Greenberg in 1944 and they bought a house. I am amazed that they managed to do what they did in that period of time. 
where we moved to in Greenberg was Fairview. I'm now the president of the Fairgrounds Civic Association. And um, that was the end of the places. It was a turnaround. They were supposed to move into the new houses that were being built for the uh, people returning from Second World War. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't let them buy there. So they had to buy further over. And that's when you found the growth of Greenberg. Greenberg started growing immensely. You discussed the Greenberg Fire Department. Well, that fire department was composed of all African Americans. And I was surprised that that fire department did a lot to save the community. They had an organization called <clears throat> the Na Good Neighbors. And this is a program that I found, I scrunched up from 1962. It listed all of the areas that participated in housing and saving houses. That took in urban renewal. And they lost a lot of houses in that area. And a lot of people were supposed to receive low income, low um, interest rate um, loans. They never got them. So that's when they began to move outside of the community. It's amazing that Lees were already here. They must have been here in the 1900s before then. And um, they buried, I think Ernestine Wright was another funeral home. Perry's. And Perry's, the three funeral not homes. My, not my relative. Thomas. They had more than three. Thomas. Uh-huh. Chambers and White Plains also. And um, they managed to bury these funeral home directors. Everybody with nickels and dimes and quarters that they paid every other week. And they finally paid them, though. And I'm just amazed that they're still in business, and they're still pillars of the community, and they're still trusted by all of us. So we've come a long way, but we haven't come far enough. My grandmother believed that the hand that rocked the cradle would rule the world. All of my aunts, she felt all of the females had to go to college. Because if they went, they wouldn't have a dumb child. All of the men, other than one, my uncle George Herbert Bethay went to the School of Divinity in um, Union Seminary. So it proved to do a lot of things. It proved that one out of the years that we've been working here in this community, we still have problems with diversity within our school education. On that note, I'm going to stop and move to Barbara Perry in recreation, which my grandmother started the first recreation program in the town of Greenberg. Uh, and she collected $1,500 back in the 50s. Well, she and the community to see to it that there was a recreation program, a recreation department here. My Aunt Martha, who was, uh, she graduated from um, Winston-Salem's Teachers College was the one who ran it, and she got her little qualification certificate from New York State. And I'm going to hand it over to you. Mm. Thank you. Good evening. <clears throat> I'm Barbara Watson Perry. My family came, and my in-law's family came, at the turn of the last century. <clears throat> my parents uh, met on Manhattan Avenue. My dad lived upstairs, my, my mother lived downstairs, and they got together, and together they had 10 children, of which I am one. Uh, 
Um, I was the second child. My dad worked for General Motors in Tarrytown, and many of the men and women during the war, the women worked in, I think they called the, um, what was it called? Eastern Aircraft. So they were able to uh, maintain and support their families by working in that factory. Um, my dad wanted to be a carpenter, and he applied for a carpentry school, but they said they do not allow blacks to go to carpentry school. Uh, my mother was a stay-at-home mom at that time because she had lots of children. I remember the garden in the backyard, and the kids coming over and playing with us. It was really a neighborhood, a family neighborhood, and many, many people owned their own homes back in that time. It was an Italian, it was a mixed neighborhood, as a matter of fact. Many Italians lived there. Blacks started to come in in the 40s and the 50s, and so on and so forth. Uh, my, I knew that I had smart parents. I knew they wanted so much for us so that we could go to college and just continue to grow as a people. Uh, my mom was very, very smart. She read Shakespeare to us at night. She would, she, they always expressed education. As I was saying, my dad wanted to be a carpenter, but he wound up being in General Motors, and that was a good job. My mom occasionally went out to do day's work, as they called it, working for people in Scarsdale. Um, when I talked about her intelligence, we would sit down at the table, each one of us, and she would help us with our math, the algebra, the geometry, and so on. And as a woman of 50 or 60, she taught math in the prison, Westchester prison system. Having had an 11th grade um, education, she went back to school. She was able to get her GED, and she taught. I'm saying she taught because she was smarter than the teacher that was teaching mm -hmm. math or whatever subjects they were at night school, but she was able to get her uh, GED. Um, as we saw, all of her children had post high school education, some of whom were able to go to college. Um, I worked at the Fairview Greenberg Community Center at that time, soon after it was named after Ted Young, who was a mover and a shaker in our town. I was responsible for lots of various things at the beginning stages of the community center, and it was really a community center where people would gather, children especially, and you had children coming back and talked about how the center was such an influence in their lives. And you couldn't leave your house and do bad things because the neighborhood was there to make sure that you were a good person. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't, mm -hmm. the stories of your misbehavior got home before you got home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to talk about the church because that was a really influence in our community. Reverend Hughes, who was the second pastor of the Union Baptist Church, was a mover and a shaker, and someone to whom we could go when there were problems in the community. 
He protected the children because we had children that got into trouble, but he was always there for the most part to take care of those children. I want to tell you about my in-laws. His name was Mr. Leith. Mr. Leith was one of the first people who was a contractor in the town of Greenberg. He built homes. He built churches, Union Baptist Church. He actually built Angie's or Deloigi's Market. Many of you may know that market. And um, with that, he actually built it for his son, who was not able to keep it, but that was a black institution, Angie's or Deloigi's as they called it. But there were many, many businesses, what we would call the corner. There was a cleaners, there was a bar, there was a retail store, I think his name was Mr. Denise. Yeah. The pool room. And there was a pool room. Mm -hmm. There were, oh, Mr. Jones is telling me there were two pool rooms. There was a chicken farm. Mm -hmm. Not yes. a farm, but no. a chicken. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they had chickens. They, they had actually chicken. chickens. And sold eggs. <laughs> and they sold eggs is what mm -hmm. Patsy was telling me. But we Fresh had a business eggs. district. We had a stationery store, we had a drug store, all those things. Taxi cab. Taxi cabs, we had all of that on the corner, as we called it. Um, but anyway, we did have our commercial business. And uh, I'm going to pass it on because I have so many things going in my mind. So I think we can just interchange as we see. And a nickel piece, my brother and I, a nickel piece got over the White Plains to Bill Sherry's office on Court Street and pay the mortgage, thirty-five dollars. Third month, third Saturday of every month, and Mommy said, "Make sure you bring that receipt back." Uh, we learned responsibility at an early age, my brother and I, because both of my parents worked during the war. Mommy worked at uh, New London, Connecticut, making parachutes, and Daddy worked at uh, Eastern Aircraft. But getting back to the beginning, uh, Daddy is from North Carolina, farm boy out of North Carolina, and Mommy is from Sheldon, South Carolina. And both of them worked <laughs> diligently. Mommy raised, um, um, a congressman by the name of Richard Ottinger. And she raised him like she raised me. Dick got spanked just like I did. <laughs> and uh, we lived off of uh, her earnings as well as daddy, uh, and we wore his clothes. Uh, mommy was a very proud woman. She believed in education. Mm -hmm. My brother and I were pretty good athletes. And one of the things she said, no books, 
no ball. And she meant it. And I was very proud to see my mother walk across the stage at Pace University. She got a degree at 68 years right. old. Right. And of course, everyone here knew, knew my dad. The greatest man that ever lived. <laughs> ever lived. I challenge anybody. He was so consistent. That's true. He believed in his God, his family, and his fellow man, in that order. He was just different. He, Daddy didn't have a bad word to say about anybody. And he would always, no matter what he did, he would always give you a sermon. Mm -hmm. If he was sweeping the gutter, and he'll stop and talk, look out. He knew the Bible from A to Z. He read it every day of his life. And when you talk about singing, oh my goodness. He would rock your world. But anyway, getting back to the Jones family, we raised chickens at 37 Manhattan Avenue. My brother and I, as I said, we were ball players. And we played for the Greenberg Gophers at Hillside Avenue. And interesting enough, Daddy said, you can play, but you got to feed the chickens. So Deke and I would have to run home, water and feed the chickens, get the eggs, and go back to school to catch the bus if we had a away game. Wow. But again, if we played ball, 5.30, we ate as a family at home. If you, not, if you were not there, you did not eat. <laughs> and so I say that for what? to say this, that's what's wrong with America today. Family don't, don't have time for each other. And that's the tragedy. You allow your children to do what they want to do. But my daddy used to say in his famous quote, in this house, that's all he would say. And you got the message. So I, I, I can talk all night, but uh, I, I thank you for this opportunity to talk about my upbringing. And with that, I'll give it to Ted. Good evening, everybody. Um, 
I guess you asked the question about how did I or my family come to the Greenberg area, and I guess it's uh, by death, really, uh, because that's our profession. My father was a funeral director. Well, back then, it was an undertaker. But my father came from Lynchburg, Virginia, wow. where he worked, not really worked, but he hung around a funeral home, and he ran errands, and he answered the phone, cleaned up, you know, uh, cleaned the floors, and uh, just ran errands and did minor jobs around the funeral home. That's how he became interested in becoming a, an undertaker. My mother came from North Carolina and a maid in North Carolina, uh, which a lot of Greenberg people came from that area too. Um, so that's how I, I really got to know a lot of people that way. So anyway, it, it was kind of as uh, Andy Griffith was would say, uh, it's funny how we all got together because I was born in St. Agnes Hospital in White Plains. <laughs> but um, I'm kind of connected to Greenberg indirectly, really, not directly like everybody else at this table because, because of our business. My family, my father came from Lynchburg to Tarrytown because he had some relatives living in New York City in Tarrytown, and uh, he actually uh, wound up in Tarrytown where he had, uh, I think it was a brother, R. Thurman Lee lived in Tarrytown, uh, New York. Um, and at that time, in the early 1900s, because my father was born in 1889, and um, he came in as a, as a young adult to Tarrytown to live with some relatives. And he, uh, at that time in Tarrytown, there was a, uh, some black uh, undertakers, Thornton and Corbett. They uh, had a business on uh, 960 Peister Street in Tarrytown. He befriended them and he worked with them and one thing led to another and eventually he became a partner. Uh, I think Mr. Uh, Corbett had died and it was like you see Thornton and Corbett, and Corbett and Lee, and then there was uh, Corbett and Lee and Matthews in Tarrytown. But anyway, back then, the uh, laws weren't as strict as they are nowadays, and you could have what was called like a manager in every city that you could uh, probably have a, a business in. So they had uh, funeral uh, branches in Mount Vernon, Tarrytown, Austin and Yonkers, I believe, in White Plains. Uh, as time went by and the laws became strict and you had to go to school and everything, my father graduated from Renard uh, School of Embalming in New York City, I think it was in 1921, somewhere around that time, 1920. Uh, and he, uh, actually, he kept the business that was in White Plains because either the, the uh, partners died or they uh, just retired or didn't you know, uh, follow through with their business. So my father kept the place in White Plains. So this is our 105th year in business. Wow. Um, he started it and then uh, he died in 1969. That's when I took over the managership 
And then in 2002, I figured I, you know, I didn't know how long I would live or whatever. And I saw how other funeral directors would die when they were retired or before they retired or they, just, they died before or something happened. But anyway, I said, I'm going to turn my managership over to my daughter, Jennifer. So she's been managing the business since 2002. So she's third generation. And my son, CJ, he helps us too. And my, and my wife, Joanne, she, uh, she got her license. So actually, uh, TJ, he's not licensed. He's uh, on the payroll, and he does, uh, he's the facilities manager. So he does, uh, he's a big help at the funeral home at home. Uh, Joanne, Jennifer, and I are both licensed. And I know one time Joanne uh, answered the phone. Somebody called, I think. I don't know, it could have been a salesman or something, wanted to do something and tried to uh, put pressure on Joanne, said, no, this is, I'm, I'm just Joanne, the wife, and, and, and my father, I mean, my husband, he's not here. It's a mom and pop operation. I'm, I'm mom and he's pop and he's not here. <laughs> so, so I hung up on him. But anyway, that, that's how we became connected with the Greenberg uh, population, uh, is through my father coming to Tarrytown and then having a business in White Plains and in the general area, White Plains, Greenberg, that area, um, you know, when death happened, we were there. And, and I remember my, my uh, uh, I remember when, as a youngster, I guess uh, in my uh, early, bef before teenage years, I uh, would help my father uh, and he would, um, uh, uh, Make how you know go to house uh, homes to make uh, house calls sometimes when a person died at the, at home. Uh, back then the uh, it was you know, we, they had the medical exam at Grasslands Hospital, but back then they didn't have the help that they have nowadays. And funeral homes had to uh, uh, offer courtesy of going and removing a body if the if the uh, medical examiner wasn't uh, able to do it at the time. So it was a courtesy thing that. Uh, most of the funeral homes did, so we, uh, uh, I went with him sometimes, they had the, uh, uh, the basket, the weed basket, uh, where we placed bodies and to remove bodies from homes, and he used to go to some homes to do the actual embalming, we used to, our, we still have some of the equipment that my father used to do that, uh, uh, the embalming table, portable bar, embalming table, and wow. so many uh, 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 embalming instruments and equipment that he used the bomb at home. And, um, and then even when there were you know, accidents or tragedies on the road or, or at a train crossing, wherever it was, uh, I've seen it all myself coming as a youngster. Uh, uh, I saw it all, you know, just growing up, uh, you name it, and I, I've seen it and I, I got used to it. Uh, but my father, um, some, some of my friends said my father lived uh, long before his time because my father uh, got into other activities for some reason or another, I don't know how. Uh, my mother, she was a domestic worker. She worked in Scarsdale, Hartsdale, like that. She eventually got a GED and she went on to get a, become a real estate sales person for Eugenia uh, Griffin, I think it was, mm -hmm. uh, at that time, uh, Dr. Griffin's wife. And my father uh, not only was a funeral director, 
but he was a uh, bail bondsman because some <laughs> people in Greenberg right. used to get in trouble and uh, they knew my father pretty well. The families knew my father and he'd go over to Greenberg Town Court there uh, where right around the corner from Manhattan Avenue. Uh, a lot of times my father, uh, the judges and the lawyers and all them got to know him over the years. He wouldn't bail for, you know, bail was, you know, just chump change back then. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it was a, a, a DWI or, or, you know, domestic violence, minor domestic violence, stuff like that. And a 25 $50, $100 bail, but he would go to make that money he sacrificed. Get calls all hours of the night, uh, day and night, to uh, bail people out. And then, uh, and then that was the time a lot of people were coming from the South, uh, coming North trying to get jobs. And in some places you needed to get the, you needed the proof, uh, whatever you needed to, to work. So you needed like a birth certificate. Some people were you know, born, it was like midwives back in those days. In some places down in the South, and they come, came North, they didn't have anything. So my father and my mother, uh, they uh, worked it out where they could uh, write down to whatever state the person was from to the health department, the Board of Health, wherever it was, to uh, get a, what they call a delayed birth certificate in order for them to you know, prove their age. And, uh, uh, and then later, it, it was uh, things like people needing to get a, their social security number. They didn't have that. Uh, he'd write to you know uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, write letters, uh, and uh, and they needed you know different letters for different things, and um, it was kind of interesting because uh, in my teenage years in uh, preteen, at the office he let me practice on an old typewriter. I was just I'm still a two finger person, but he let me try to use the typewriter and he'd dictate letters to me to write. Uh, to uh, you know, different departments of health to get a birth certificate, and then some people didn't know, you know, when they were born or what date they were born or somewhere around the time. But we didn't make up a date. So my father, my father would say, "Okay, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to say that uh, Aunt Mamie came down to the house one Sunday morning uh, to visit, and then because uh, she knew that uh, your mother was going to have." Uh, you you were going to be born that day, and uh, and um, uh, she came running out into the yard out in the country, saying that oh it's a it's a baby girl, it's a baby boy, and I remember and you got to say I remember that day because Aunt Mamie I was ten years old, and she came out and said it was a baby girl, a baby boy, and uh, it was it was hot that day, but later that night it started raining. We had to make up some kind of a story. And it signed a letter, and uh, that, along with uh, some other proof of uh, birth or whatever, three or four articles, uh, documents had been sent down, and they got their birth certificates or you know uh, social security numbers, but they had to make make up some kind. There's a different story every time, you know. but uh, and. Thank <laughs> you. 
His favorite, I don't know if this was his favorite song, but it was times like these, is what I remember. <laughs> yeah, push that over. Yeah, push this over, Kelly, push this over. Our family is from the stories we've heard so far. The, the many of us began moving into Greenberg during the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and we were from Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. Where else did we come from? So, Mr. Robinson, please tell your story. Well, I'm not going to keep you all here all night because <laughs> I got too much to talk about. <laughs> I came to Greenberg in 1928 from Virginia, and the reason why I came to Greenberg because at that time there was a depression going on. For you all that don't know what a depression was, it was a time that you didn't have no work and you didn't have nothing to do your styles. So my family left Virginia and came to New York in 1928. In 1928 it was a trolley running from White Plains to Ellensport, a trolley, like a train. And up on a place that in Greenberg now is called Orchard Hill. Well, Orchard Hill got a lot of beautiful homes up there now, but when I came to Greenberg, there was no homes there. It was an apple orchard. That's why they called it Orchard Hill. It was no houses there, all trees, apple trees. And my father was a very large man, and he had to climb those trees to pick apples for us to survive. It was terrible during the Depression time. And then I went to the Army. Matter of fact, before I get to that, uh, I was with the opening about a few months ago, and I was inducted into the Veteran Hall of Fame. I fought in Germany for two years. I fought in Germany. I saw a lot. And then I came back from the Army, and I met this young lady that named Elsie. And Reverend Hughes married us. And from then, I had five children. One of them is here tonight, Teresa. I had five children. And I worked for Joel Motors for 33 years in Terrytown. But in Greenberg, it was Greenberg then, but now it's much different now. Greenberg is much different now. It's, it's a lot going on now that it wouldn't be going on when I came to Greenberg because they had, they had this chicken market down here called Jerry. Right. And we used to go to the chicken market and buy, and buy chickens, and they used to take the chicken and wring its head off. 
and put them in water and get the fur on them. And those was good chickens then. Yeah. I mean, those chickens was good. <laughs> and then there was a man going around called Richards with a fish truck. That's right. And he was selling fish in the winter time, coal and everything. That's how we had to survive then. It was trouble. So I'm going to say no more. I've said enough. <laughs> My family came here from North Carolina in 1927 during the Depression. And three years later, I came along. <laughs> My family consists of nine individuals who are like stepping stones, but no one can actually realize how the Depression did our family. In the 1930s, in the 1935, 1936, even so, my family also consisted of five brothers and four sisters. And we had special assignments. And as you became certain ages, and there was no turning around once your turn come back, unless you wanted to bribe some of my younger brothers to do the work for you. My sisters, at that particular time, they were doing housework. Until the East Aircraft during the Army, uh, they were working for the defense plans. Two of them in Linden, New Jersey, and one of them in Tarrytown. My father was a carpenter. He was also a steeplejack. And his work was so busy that he could not work from home most times uh, he was out of state or out of town in some other opportunity. My mother happened to be the glue of the family. And we were all residents of Greenberg, and as a consequence, we all went to Greenberg schools. Uh, I started in the first grade because I could, my, my, the fact that we were, we were stepping stones, I could learn how to read. One day in the kindergarten, they put me in the first grade because I could read. One of the other things that I think I, I should re remember is that since my family was the glue of the family, my mother, that is, uh, she held everybody in a responsibility. And as they say, if there's ever such thing as a, a black woman being busy, my mom fit the bill. We all attended to the Greenberg Central 7. Some did well, others did not do so well. When others was graduating from school, there was no such thing as going to college or even further in your education. The first thing you had to do when you came out of school, you had to go to work and help support your family, especially since my father was in faraway places. I say that to say this, our younger people to this day, they have no idea what depression led to. Most men at that particular time did, had, did not have jobs. They had a government project called the WPA, which stood for the Work Project in Action. And that was like working on a chain gang. And last but not least, I found that 
I had my real education since I was up in life. In the early 30s, that's when I began to really get my education. And I would never be thankful, I would always be thankful for the opportunity that afforded me while I was growing up. Having nine children, and they all did well. And we all also had uh, longevity in my family. I have four people in my family that reached at age 90, and hopefully I'll get there one day. <laughs> We met there in the front of the old school, and that was in between Manhattan and Warren Avenue, and we do the Maypole, and that was the most fun in the world because I messed that pole up so bad. <laughs> you get to a knot, you know, and it was fun. And every minister, you knew every last one of the ministers for all of the churches in Greenberg and White Plains. And I dare you to do something wrong. I took a box of Red Hots in the junior choir. There was a thousand Red Hots in this box, right? And right there in the prayer, they started popping all over the floor. No rug. Kenny Lee was in the back of me, and he said, don't anybody turn around. Nobody in the choir turned around. The minister didn't even turn around. 999 Red Hots hit the floor. And the minister sat right there, I mean, stood right there and waited for that last one to drop. And then he started his prayer. 
And I thank God he wouldn't tell anybody whose child it was, because I would have been killed. I'm serious. I thought you were supposed to make a presentation. No matter what, if you went out on a Saturday, mm -hmm. you had to get back home in time to go to church. Actually, you had to get home by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And that next morning, you got up and you made sure you got up and went to church, to Sunday school, mm -hmm. BYP, mm -hmm. as I remember someone say, beat your pastor up. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, our church was really the center of our community. Um, we all gathered there. We prayed together, we played together. And it was just unlike today with people going their separate ways, especially the children with their iPhones, their smartphones, and all that. They don't talk to each other. But we had to do that. We had Sunday school. We, our Sunday school teachers were like our parents. They made sure that we knew everything we needed to know as young ladies to grow up. Our parents couldn't talk to us, our, our church family did, particularly that Sunday school uh, teacher, one of whom I really admire and I remember to this day, Ellie Banks. Oh, the best Ellie kids. Banks was the best teacher that I've ever had, and she was my Sunday school teacher. She watched us grow through high school, through college, through marriage, and all of that. But they were important in our lives. We loved them. But um, church was the focus of our community. And if it were not for Union Baptist Church, we would not have Union Child Day here. Because they partnered with, especially with Miss um, Castleberry, who started it, and Rita Jones, his mother. And that's the importance of having family and church family and all of that. But uh, I know my mother would always say, keep God in the experience. Mm -hmm.
I said, what? He said, goodbye. Mm. Mm. And I often remember him saying, when you get tired, tired, that'll be the end. Sure enough, I got the phone call. And it's amazing what he knew, his instinct. Mm. It's just amazing. And he was there to comfort anybody at all times. I think I could say that down in the reservation. But mommy, on the other hand, was different. <laughs> she was she had come right at you, hit you right between the eyes. No malice. And after that, that was it. But the Jones family loved Greenberg. We loved Greenberg. I have a brother who lives in uh, Texas right now. And we get on the phone oftentimes and we talk about the old times. And we had a great life. My dad said one thing to my brother and I, and I'm quoting him right now. He said, do not deny yourself of anything you want to do in life. Of course, man appoints and God disappoints. In the twinkling of an eye, you're dead. So he said, if you want to do it, he said, you do it. You know, we often hear people say, oh, I wish I had. Don't <laughs> wish you do it. I did. Never got caught. So <laughs> 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 it was quite an experience. <laughs> and I listened to my dad. He had so many quotes. And the most favorite one, he used to say, happiness does not last. That's right, Trouble. Don't Happy moments do. Makes a lot of sense. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> he said, you could be driving along and you smile and you will remember that moment in your life, mm -hmm. that pearl in your life. Well, I'm talking about it. So, so Jimmy, just a minute before you pass the mic. Now, I'm just wondering, is this you? Huh? Oh, you're not going to get So Margie Tucker was the organist. So when Reverend Hughes got up to start preaching, we would sneak out, take off our robes, go down, go down the corner and play pool in the pool room. Oh my goodness. And when Margie hit that note, or she hit a chime or something, we would hear. That was, all right, you gotta get back. And we would always back to the Union Baptist Church. Talking to Mike. Oh, we would go all the way back to the Union Baptist Church. We were never missed. <laughs>
And I mean, because everybody really knew each other, so to speak, in the, in the community and in the neighborhood. And uh, they were good enough that, uh, and uh, even uh, financially sometimes to help families out, you know, tragedy could have a fire or something like that. And the church was always there. Thank you. Mr. Boston? No. I'm a, can I make a presentation? I'm going to make a presentation. You want to make a Okay. Uh, good evening once again. Uh, following in the footsteps of what has been presented here at this table, uh, I'd like to make some sort of educational presentation for those of you who are not familiar with the Fairview Greenberg. Please allow me if I may. My presentation hangs on the fact that most people in Greenberg, whether they were entrepreneurs through individuals or collectively, and I would like to give you an insight on what some of the things were back since the time I first grew up. Business 
and Fairview Greenberg. He was also a recipient of some kind of award. I don't remember exactly what it was, but for his distribution of newspapers and magazines, also in the town of Greenberg. Jenkins and Son Auto Repair, African American located on Roosevelt Avenue, which no longer exists. William Sutherland Insurance. That's right. On Long, Longdale Avenue, who also the bugle blower for the um, I should, should call it the parade on Memorial Day. He blew the blew the bugle at the at the cemetery. John Tennant was a plumber. Now he could not work on anyone's homes because he didn't have a license. During that time, uh, African Americans could not become members of the uh, unions in Greenberg. So what they had to do, they take a license, a licensed plumber or a contractor, and put their sign in front of the house where John Tennant was working. But even though he did not have a license to do such work. For mm -hmm. Dell Hamilton, he was an electrician. He was faced with the same obstacle. He could not get a union job, so he had to use uh, some other licensed electrician to put his soul in front of the house. That's where he was working. Lewis Sanders was an Orchard Hill taxi. He had a taxi service all he did, all day long, drive from Orchard Hill and Greenberg to the train station in White Plains, taking those customers back and forth. Mr. Smith was a peanut vendor. He had a little push cart with a whistle on it. No matter what you were doing, when you heard that whistle, you had to run in the house, beg for a nickel to get a bag of peanuts. churches we had in Greenberg at that time were Union Baptist Church, uh, Christ Temple on Oak Street, the Greater New Zion was on Carlton Street, and Hack Jones, who was a minister, but he played the part. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Hill Auto Body, 
on Tarrytown Road. So as you can see and hear, most of the business was located on Tarrytown Road. Now I also want to reiterate one thing. In 1934, when I was about four years old, I saw the trolley tracks that used to run from Tarrytown to White Plains. And the main stop between Tarrytown and White Plains was Greenberg. And right to this day, the only, the only paved roads that I knew at that time was Dobbsbury Road, which was called Klein's Hill. It was named after the principal of uh, the high school named Ira Klein. So they named the street after him. Tarrytown Road was obviously uh, a paved road. Hillside Avenue was also a paved road. And the only other paved road in Greenberg was Norwood Road. And I think it's, it's good to, for you to know the history because Greenberg has a rich history, especially in the Fairview area. And I guess all of you know by now that the reason they named the area Fairview is because of the, the World's Fair they had, or the Country Fair, I should say, that was located on Tarrytown Road, uh, Hillside Avenue, and Shrovenock Boulevard. And I just thought you'd get a little heck out of you know, this presentation.